Boom, 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 boom. Yes. There we go. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Welcome to VUX World. And apologies for the slight delay. Uh, and there's been all kinds of havoc being wreaked over here with uh, LinkedIn's new event system. But I think we're rolling. I think we're all good to go. So welcome to VUX World as we come to the, I think, penultimate podcast of the year one more we've got going on tomorrow uh, but today is going to be a good one we're going to be chatting about interoperability and open standards for voice ai before we get into that uh we're going to give a shout out to our sponsor deepgram a uh, massive shout out to deepgram and a big thanks to deepgram for sponsoring vux world for the latter part of this year uh, if you don't know already i'm sure many of you do but if you don't Deepgram are an ASR provider, automatic speech recognition provider. They transcribe audio into text and they do it incredibly well. One of the best out there uh, at doing that job. You can utilize this technology for a whole range of use cases. You can run it in your call center for transcribing calls. You can then add an NLU or what have you over the top of that. You can utilize it uh, in your call center again for creating voice bots. You can utilize it if you're creating an independent voice assistant for your speech recognition side. You can actually utilize it for things like uh, recording meetings, identifying speakers. You can use it for a whole range of use cases. Uh, earnings calls have just released support for. They've got a wide range of language support as well. Spanish has just been released. French and French-Canadian just been released. And what's uh, in crucial about this is that unlike other kind of off-the-shelf speech recognition systems, with this one, you can actually train it based on your specific use case in your specific uh, industry sector and the kinds of jargon or phraseology that your customers or business uses. And it can reach over 90% accuracy with that level of training. And so if you are interested in checking out more, please do visit deepgram.com forward slash VUX world. And the team at Deepgram, what they'll do if you're looking at providers is they'll actually baseline Deepgram services against other providers as well. So if you've got a use case in mind, knock on the door, give them a shout. They'll do this assessment and uh, hopefully they'll be able to find you the uh, the right solution for you. So do check out deepgram.com forward slash VUX world. And generally, if you're interested in just having a dabble, if you don't need handholding like that, you can literally just go to the website, register, uh, get access to the API and get up and running in, you know, minutes. So do check it out. VUX, uh, sorry, deepgram.com forward slash VUX world. <clears throat> Now, on with the show, we've had a lot of talk uh, about this over the last couple of years, I think probably since Amazon uh, announced the Interoperability Initiative, which gathered a whole group of organizations together, I think even Salesforce and the BBC and Mercedes and some large organizations were involved in it, <clears throat> to further the Interoperability Initiative, which is essentially allowing uh, any voice assistant to be accessed from any uh, device or interface, essentially. Multiple assistants all operating uh, and accessible from the same uh, endpoint. And in reality, that hasn't quite transpired into what we thought it might do. We thought that that would herald this kind of huge boom in voice assistant creation. We thought that uh, Amazon and Google, who have their own kind of version of the interoperability initiative, would be the front doors, if you like, to this uh, vast world of uh, multifunctional assistants. But it's been a little bit slow to get off the ground. And a company that is aiming to further this cause, and in fact, ho hopefully we'll get into the, the, how it's going to solve some of these problems and further the interoperability initiative, uh, is Who Else AI? And I'm delighted to be joined today by the founder, Tobias Martins. Tobias, welcome. <laughs> Hi, Kane. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Um, I uh, mentioned to you uh, before our, uh, our appointment that I'm not per se a public speaker, but I will my, do my very best in order to uh, provide an entertaining program for the next uh, hour. Uh, thanks so much for the invitation. No worries. People don't often get entertained on this program anyway, so <laughs> don't feel the pressure. <laughs> um, the most important thing is that you've got a head full of knowledge, which is uh, which is what we're kind of trying to get to, really. Uh, but yeah, it's generally relaxed. And uh, yeah, I'm glad that you can join us. Excited for the conversation. So I suppose maybe we can start with... Um, I mentioned there during the intro, the interoperability initiative from uh, Amazon and a couple of others who have kind of, you know, spoke about it. But in practice, we haven't really seen an awful lot of activity in the space, aside from perhaps some of the stuff that you're working on. Wondering whether, first of all, introduce yourself, tell us about yourself, tell us about who else AI. And then finally, why do you think there has been what was initially a lot of hype and talk, and then what seems to be a little bit of fizzling out from the big providers. Uh, yes, very happy to do so. Uh, Tobias, uh, in my mid-30s, uh, I've been working for the past 10 years in tech, uh, both in uh, consulting, but as well for startups. 
And I encountered the topic of voice AI interoperability uh, basically um, four or five years ago um, when uh, revisiting the original idea that I had in mind for who else AI. And um, I can speak about that in a second, but let me first address your question regards uh, the Amazon Voice Interoperability Initiative. And there's currently as well as uh, um, uh, the Open, uh, Open Voice Network as it's been promoted by the Linux Foundation. Uh, we've seen from um, Oasis, the new Recite initiative. Uh, currently, everybody is talking about voice AI interoperability, but of sorts, these different assistants still do not talk with each other. And I totally share your concern that uh, we've seen a lot of promises and uh, many visions, but so far, none of them is really yet delivering. And uh, very happy to dive a little bit deeper into that. Let me um, maybe briefly say uh, in regards to interoperability what fascinates me and uh, that is uh, that it's uh, sort of an inevitable problem, right? Because voice assistants, unlike uh, smartphones or screens, uh, they are a thermal technology, right? If we have like different smart speakers um, surrounded at your, at your, in, your, in your office or at your, uh, at your living space, uh, sooner or later, it will be a problem that five different smart speakers are listening to you in parallel and all of them want to answer because they don't have a protocol to, to exchange data. And therefore, I believe that uh, interoperability is an inevitable problem and we, see, we will see progress on that end. However, I believe the market is still dominated by, um, or dominated is such a, negative, a negatively connotated word, but inside of the market are many companies that have an inherent interest in protecting their position in the uh, domain. And therefore, I believe we see at the moment many initiatives coming up and they want to advance the domain. And I think sooner or later they need to talk with each other. And um, what we're doing with Who Else AI is basically we're trying to make suggestions or proposals how they could be implemented and by developing a protocol for voice AI interoperability. And um, yeah, that's uh, Tobias in a nutshell. Um, and happy to, to go deeper into all of these aspects. Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. Uh, shout out to Miguel Costa, who says, hi, everyone. Hello, Miguel. Thanks for joining us. Any questions you have for Tobias, uh, please feel free to stick them in the chat, and we'll do our best to, to field them to Tobias, So as, as they say. Um, so you mentioned something that was, that was really important just then and I think that perhaps this is what I would see and I'd be interested in getting your thoughts as probably the largest challenge when it comes to interoperability is the um, willingness of the companies that currently control the access points namely Amazon and the Alexa platform Google Assistant and the uh, Assistant platform Siri and Apple um, you know they, they own the access points and if you look at what's happening or been happening recently with Sonos. Obviously, Sonos acquired SNPs. It's no secret that they'll be utilizing the SNPs technology to create their own assistant. There was some code leaked on Reddit a couple of weeks back that showed that, in fact, there is some code in the app that suggests that a Sonos voice assistant is on the way. It's likely, and I'm obviously hypothesizing, but given that they acquired SNPs, SNPs had technology that was specializing in on-device voice AI processing, I would be blown away if they didn't release a smart speaker that has a Sonos voice assistant with on-device processing built into it. But as part of that journey, they have had a bit of a falling out with Google because although Google have said that they believe in the interoperability initiative, they don't want to uh, concede being the first port of call on Sonos hardware, meaning that Google will only allow... Sonos to put Google Assistant on Sonos smart speakers if Google Assistant has a prominent position as far as being the dominant assistant and Sonos can play second fiddle with their own assistant. And so already Sonos has been really the only company that's kind of got the reach and potential to put a device into people's homes that really truly can compete with Amazon Alexa and Google Assistant because it's got a brand, people like it, it sounds really good, and now they can have their own assistant. They've got the very first opportunity to create what is an interoperable device. And at the first part of call, Google have kind of thrown their hands up and said, we don't want that to happen, but we do support the interoperability initiative. So I think that I'd be interested in getting your thoughts on whether or not the, I suppose, the guard, the, what is it? What, what word am I trying to find? The, 
the people or the companies rather that control the access points having incentives that don't quite align with this concept? Yeah, I mean, uh, there's probably one more aspect to the Sonos story that Sonos was delisted from the um, Apple store uh, shortly after it was announced or uh, rumored that they're working on it at an own assistant. And uh, let's not talk about the uh, strategy decisions by Apple in particular, but in more general terms, you're exactly right. It's a question of gatekeepers and who's controlling the uh, interface. And that is probably a different challenge in regards to voice AI than it is for classical uh, websites or like classical search engines. Why is that? Because uh, the functionality of voice AI is on one hand side um, a feature that is much less depending on a user making a proactive choice. If you're speaking with a device, you're expecting the device to answer and not to open any kind of, of browser to, to, to go to the next service. And on a, and to a, certain, on a certain degree, um, the user is, is having much, more, much less influence what kind of service is being chosen. And that is, of course, um, a role in which the uh, producers of the devices have a very prominent uh, function of controlling what kind of services will be listed and what kind of features will be available. And um, you, you referred as well to different approaches in regards to uh, voice assistance, whether it's being on device recognition, whether it's being in the cloud. And um, I believe it comes all down to uh, one uh, circumstance, and that is that uh, many companies will need to start collaborating with each other in consideration of the realization that they are actually not able to provide the best user experience all around the world. And um, what, uh, what I keep on uh, repeating is sort of the story about German car manufacturers. Um, and I mean, we all know the story about Tesla and so on. Let's not, let's not repeat that, but let's talk about voice assistant in cars. We have a situation, if you're Mercedes or Volkswagen or BMW, that you're producing a car and you want to distribute the car to as many distribution markets as possible. And in the situation of the classical OEM model, where you work together with third-party uh, hardware and software suppliers, um, it's, in the, it's in the voice AI domain differently because voice AI is on one side an emerging technology. Uh, we see advancements every, every, every other week. Um, I mean, last year or this year was GPT-3, the big uh, speech, in, uh, speech in town. And uh, we will see this kind of innovations coming up at different places across different languages. And this is a huge challenge for car manufacturers to use voice assistants or to use software for voice assistants that are compatible across different markets. Because uh, very simply explained, it's unlikely that a German car company uh, will work with an American AI provider in order to provide speech assistance, uh, voice assistance in China, uh, Turkey or Russia. And on that end, I believe companies need to start realizing that they won't be able to provide uh, the single voice assistant that's capable to delivering a good user experience all around the world. But of course, um, if your company like uh, Google, Apple, or Amazon, if you have the necessary resources, then you at least can attempt of um, being the service provider. And since you have already the, the, the device endpoints, uh, you're as well in the prime position of doing so. So I believe um, um, it will be a matter of time. As I said earlier, it's an inevitable problem, but at the moment it's a problem uh, where, um, where many stakeholders have actually the resources to compete with each other and with their business models. And uh, on that end, I think it will st still take a time of consolidation. Um, the standard initiatives that are out there are certainly a step in the right, in the, in the right direction. But even then, um, it probably needs to reach beyond standards. It's actually required a real kind of collaboration um, in order to, um, to, to provide this voice experience we all are dreaming of. I mean, the, the vision of voice is because everybody talks. It's, it's a medium that, um, that, um, that people of all ages handle, right? It's my, my mom knows how to speak with the device, my small nephew. And, and I mean, we both are voice geeks. It's a medium that's universally available. So I believe uh, the vision should be to have like intelligent robots that can talk to you like as we would do each other, with each other as humans. And now it will be the question, who of these companies are betting first on interoperability uh, to take this path forward of an open system and or whether they prefer their own proprietary business models because um, that is the last remark uh, of course, Apple is having a different uh, business case than is Google or than Amazon. 
as they all build voice assistants with a different value proposition in mind. And on that, and I think we see a competition of business models, and it will be the question what kind of business models is most suited for interoperability to make this vision of uh, really intelligent uh, robots that talk to you as people do with each other uh, succeed. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, the business, the, the kind of businesses that I think have, um, it's almost like the kind of businesses that would get value from this and who are active supporters of it are the businesses that would benefit from the access points that Amazon and Google and Apple have established. You know, like BBC, for example, if you if you create content, then yes, you're going to be up for this because you want to be able to, when you create your own assistant, be available through those. You know, the BBC are realistically not going to create their own hardware. So they're not going to create their own access points aside from their website and their app. Um, same thing with like radio station providers. They're not going to create their own hardware. They just need to be, you know, available on whichever hardware that these other companies produce. And, and given that Amazon and Google and Apple have got um, the hardware that is in the process of being adopted, they end up kind of being in control in many cases. And if you think about Google, Google's aim is to be the, the front door to the internet, which it kind of always has been when the internet was the primary way of accessing the internet was in a web browser. Google basically dominated that access point to the internet, made a lot of money doing it. And so now the access points to the internet are wide and varied. And so Google's kind of scrambling to become that default position again. Amazon, obviously, the the long term for Amazon is that this assistant, they'd be happy if people were listening to, uh, you know, Amazon music, watching Prime Video, uh, getting bits of content here and there, but then shopping from it would be ultimately, I think, what they'd be happy with. Um, Apple, God knows what's happening with Apple. It's, it's basically it hasn't really moved much. But essentially, what I'm trying to get to is that the companies that would benefit from this are the companies that don't really have a stake in terms of control in being able to enact it. Would that be a fair observation or not? Yeah, I totally um, would agree. Um, uh, it's basically the matter of incentives. And uh, what we see at the moment is in how far public regulations or public regulators uh, try to um, create an equal uh, playing ground. I mean, we've seen it on the EU level in terms of new regulations on one side in regards to trustworthy mm. um, AI systems. Um, so questions about how much of data can be retained uh, what, can, uh, what kind of data can be used for what kind of use cases, what are data protection laws. So the GDPR um, for, the, for the AI world is uh, certainly uh, coming closer to us. Um, and we see some similar tendencies in the US. But um, as a matter of fact, uh, regulators tend to be actually slower than the market. So on that end, um, I'm not convinced that uh, those companies that are only playing by the, by the rules that other regulators are creating will succeed in that race. Um, instead, I believe that um, we'll see uh, companies that realize the potential of interoperability uh, that are eventually not having their own resources to compete with uh, Amazon or Google in regards to voice uh, AI capabilities, uh, and that will join forces. Uh, that in theory, in practice, we already see many of these consortia, and they still try to, to agree on what's the best way forward um, but I think uh, definitely uh, this voice AI interoperability uh, movement uh, will be carried by those companies that realizing that they cannot provide the perfect voice assistant and beyond voice assistant as well chatbots and everything in the conversation in AI space. Um, and those companies that are realizing that they cannot do it for everyone in the world and uh, that they, uh, who decide to join forces. And uh, what we see as well in the German industry um, currently is that many companies are focusing more and more on open source technologies, um, especially in consideration of the market dominating uh, positions of, of Amazon and Google and uh, open sources on that. And, and that is as well what I believe personally, um, the right way of, of moving forward in this domain. Um, however, uh, open source has never been like the most intuitive business case or from a startup point of view, uh, there's certainly better business models than doing something open source. However, in particular in, in the NLP domain, uh, thinking about Hugging Face, thinking about Rasa, uh, there's certainly very successful examples for open source business models. So I think it will be somehow at this intersection um, how the market will be turned. 
Mm. Yeah, I mean, there's already some examples of where I suppose you could see, I'd be interested in getting your ideas on where you've seen other kind of signs of it, but obviously we saw the, the Microsoft and Cortana and Amazon Alexa collaboration, which was a couple of years back. Um, there is some interesting stuff happening with Nuance and Harmon. I don't know if you saw that kind of um, situation. We had uh, we had both Nuance and Harmon on a podcast together a couple of weeks back discussing that, which is quite an interesting topic. It's not It's not interoperability at the wake word level. It's interoperability, I suppose, in terms of if a third-party company provides an app for the Harman Ignite store, which is essentially the, one of the app stores that you can get on the Android operating system for your infotainment system. So if you buy a Volkswagen, perhaps it's got the Harman Ignite uh, infotainment system in there, and you can enable third-party apps for whatever you want to do it for. And Nuance are providing the capability where they're going to voice enable those apps, essentially. It strikes me as it's going to be fairly simple. So if it's a radio playing app, then, you know, that will be voice enabled by virtue of Nuance ingesting the stuff that you do and building a language model around radio, which it probably already has, um, and a bunch of other things like that. So it's all, it's not quite potentially interoperability, certainly not at the wake word level, but it's still potentially a step towards leveling the playing field from an app access or, or capability access point of view. I'm wondering if your thoughts on whether the, whether you're, in your mind, does interoperability extend down the funnel from wake word detection and handing off to assistance down to the capability level? Well, I would say that um, in, in how I see the world of devices and voice assistance, that um, the most important point is, or the most important thing is, in my opinion, that the user will always need to trust the gateway device. And um, and I think, uh, accordingly, the producers of those devices will be uh, responsible to provide the best user experience as front-end and potentially as well include as many services as they're capable to do to include in their front-end. And only if the gateway device is not able to answer a question, I believe, it will look up another device and forward the user request. And what you just described sounded uh, to me a little bit like uh, if this and that, this automation tool. And um, I believe we'll see more plug and play solutions where uh, service providers can integrate voice capabilities into their, uh, into their, um, into their apps, or into their hardware. And uh, only then voice commands will be handed over to another service uh, once the initial gateway device is not able of uh, responding. Um, but indeed, the interesting question is who will decide uh, where a voice command goes or ends up uh, being sent to and uh, by what kind of incentives, incentives is that happening? I mean, if we're thinking about during the COVID uh, crisis, we had many, um, many research projects that have been developing uh, voice-based COVID tests. And this voice-based COVID test was, was usually universities or medical research institutions and um, these kind of voice AI applications are actually super intriguing because they really uh, use the medium of voice for new kind of use cases. But then again, it will be the problem to integrate it into any kind of gateway hardware. Who will decide what kind of voice-based COVID test is now most accurate or which one uh, is most reliable and so on and so forth. So I believe what will be lacking in the, or what, what will be an ongoing problem in this interoperable world that we're talking about is actually to have a point of trust that you can refer to to understand on one side what kind of services are available out there and why should you use one of these services. And certainly that has been uh, one of the aspects that we've been tinkering with with our idea for who else AI uh, to become such kind of registry. But on the other hand side, um, choose your battles wisely. At the moment, we're looking at, at, at many of the aspects that are at stake because on one side is certainly this voice registry services uh, providing an index. And that's, by the way, the same reason why Google is not so keen into voice assistance because once there's another index as, uh, other than Google, of course, it's a risk for the business model. Um, but certainly as well when it comes to uh, the interoperability of speech commands alone. I mean, if you're thinking about uh, currently, we're discussing a lot about wake words and utterances and, and how to translate that into actions uh, that are uh, programmatically uh, handleable by AIs. And um, I think uh, that we will see a lot of standardization uh, demands uh, going, going deeper uh, when it comes to voice analytics, when it comes to um, authentication, when it comes to 
um, you name it. I mean, uh, the, the, the plurality of voice AI use cases um, is making the interoperability challenge even bigger. And um, I think the most placative or the most simple way of framing is uh, we need uh, some kind of URL system for the Internet of Voice. And uh, we need an idea that all of these different vendors can agree on. And um, we try to make contributions on that, and but there's many people in this domain. And um, on that end, how I see us uh, as who else AI at the moment is uh, being uh, foremost um, research-driven and being uh, driven by the conviction that there will be an interoperable standard. Uh, but as well, we're trying to connect with uh, those different standard organizations, open source initiatives working at interoperability and uh, try to infuse our ideas wherever we can. And, um, and I believe that such kind of positioning in the market uh, that is very opportunistic is as well having a lot of appeal because we don't have any politics. I mean, if you look into all of these different consortia you, you, you mentioned at the beginning of our talk, um, there's so much politics going on. If one company is joining interoperability initiative one, two, or three, and uh, this is a problem that we are frankly not having, and I'm actually quite happy about that. Mm. Interesting. So this this registry of um, kind of like voice registry is this so is this getting at essentially what Miguel Miguel Costa's comment here is getting at, <clears throat> which is kind of what I was insinuating when I was talking about interoperability at the app level. I think it also goes deeper than that. But we'll get to that. So. Miguel saying that the browser fight is a good example to explain our point of view, which is voice flip point of view, um, which is that the end point or the access point, as we've been calling it, um, everyone's kind of fighting for that. Apple, you know, Google, Amazon, Sonos. Um, but at the end of the day, everyone uses HTML. And so is that what we're getting at? Whereas this voice registry is almost getting at what that common language for voice AI systems is um, so that any voice application can run on any kind of platform? Uh, or is it is it the level above that, which is the, the indexing and the passing of traffic? Um, I think uh, one is a prerequisite for the other. Um, I believe in order to have such kind of voice uh, registry, we definitely need shared standards for the for the voice um, apps itself. And so we need such kind of, some kind of HTML standard for the voice internet. Uh, when it comes to the registries, um, I, um, I'm, I, I would love to believe in a future where we have some kind of ICANN for the Internet of Voice, um, uh, the association that is uh, distributing Internet URLs uh, or the domain name system, to be correct. Um, however, I believe since, uh, since the market is looking differently than the Internet 30 years ago, uh, because we already have all the devices in the market and we have all these different players that we already touched on, um, that uh, such kind of uh, voice registry services, we will see many voice registry services, I believe. And um, we see this many, these different voice registry services as well competing with each other. Um, however, the problem, and that's why I'm coming back to my point, is inevitable because the problem still doesn't go away. If you have five different smart speakers with five different voice registry services, <laughs> it's still a problem if they all want to talk in parallel to you. So I believe um, uh, there will certainly some kind of uh, formats and standards evolve on the HTML level um, that will be as well used for the voice registry services. However, I believe there will be many voice registry services uh, since uh, the market has been uh, different, differently developed um, in comparison to HTML and the uh, DNS. Mm. So would you describe something like the Skill Store as a voice registry service? Um, um, I know. I don't think I, I, the, the Alexa skill, skill, skill store you're referring to. Yeah, yeah. All the Google Google action. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, I no, not 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 entirely. I mean, it's certainly the first version of what could be a, uh, what could be a registry. I think the difference is that currently we have to install basically skills for the services that we want to use. And so you must you must discover basically the skill before you can activate a skill, and uh, of course Amazon and they all implement as well ways of searching your skills by voice. But the general principle is that you have to install a skill that you want to use later on. 
And I think if we compare it to uh, internet browsers, then it's actually the other way around that you type in what you're looking for and then you find the service that you need. So on that end, I believe um, certainly it's a, it's a first version what's needed. Uh, it's not yet uh, voice registry as I would uh, see it uh, coming up. Mm. It's interesting. It's really interesting because it's like, would you need to solve that problem because the problem with the problem with the skill store, you're right, is that you need to install it. Now, to be honest, whether the whether Joe Public actually understands that something's being installed, I don't know. Like if I, if I was to say something like I don't know, uh, for for want of a better example, book me an Uber, and they said, oh, I can hand you off to Uber to book a taxi. Do you want me to do that? And I said yes. It's enabling the skill. It's activating the skill and put me in there. But for an end user, I don't know whether they understand that that's actually what's happening. For they've just been passed on to a conversation to book a taxi. Um, so it seems as though there is there is something that Amazon are kind of working towards, which is basically is is what is what you're saying, like removing the I suppose the um, the invocation phrase. And essentially stripping that away to to essentially address the capability by the basically by the capability that it offers. Is that yeah? Is I that mean, is that what it is? Yeah, I mean, uh, what, what uh, very interesting point. Let's let's think about it one one dimension ahead. Even uh, let's consider internet brands and uh, how it usually works. If you want to if you want to access an online service, usually you go to Google. You type in what you're looking for: um, holiday apartments. Um, a concert ticket, and then you're being forwarded to a service, um, whether it's being Eventbrite or Airbnb. Um, uh, so we're experiencing the, the internet basically by search terms that are leading us to brands. And what we're now trying to do is in the world of voice assistance is that we're trying to adopt this principle a little bit by expecting users to say, hey, uh, Alexa, I want to book an Uber in order to go X, Y, Z. And I'm doubtful if that is uh, is, uh, is a viable way forward, because uh, statistically and uh, research shows that users remember only a limited number of names uh, for apps, and this is already a problem on the on your on your on your smartphone on a on a device with a screen, um, and uh, it's actually an interesting uh, domain of marketing to consider what kind of online services have become popular only by, by having the, the more competing brand. But I believe this problem will be even worse in the future of voice assistance because if you don't see what you can ask for, the question will be how should you be nudged what to ask for. And I believe on that and it will be a problem for many brands, uh, brands that are not ni as nicely spoken as and as popular as Airbnb and Uber. Um, and uh, on that end, um, I believe um, we actually want to live in a world where we can say whatever we want to a voice assistant and the voice assistant knows where to look up and forward us to. The problem is a little bit how to get there um, and as well from an ecosystem perspective because Alexa, Google, of course, they're expecting um, a third-party app providers to develop for the skill stores and they're depending on it uh, to a certain extent in order to crowdsource functionality However, that is probably not um, how users ultimately want to interact with um, AI. Mm. Well, maybe let's use the let's use the Sonos example then. Let's say that Sonos launch the Sonos Assistant. Yeah, and uh, the aim of the Sonos Assistant basically is just purely to play music, nothing else, just exists to play music. And they have a policy which is that any other assistant that can do anything else we'll work alongside it and we'll do whatever it takes or, or you can, you know, um, yeah, we, 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 we will support the interoperability initiative. All we want to do is let people pay, play music. If they say anything else, then we will hand it off to wherever. We're then in a space where if you're not using, well, well, there's one level is being able to invoke explicitly another assistant, which is being able to invoke Alexa, being able to invoke Google Assistant, being able to invoke whoever else wants to kind of have that seat at that higher level kind of table. But then the other the other level down from that is allowing other applications or services to be available via Sonos without requiring explicit invocations, as in, hey, Sonos, ask Uber to book me a taxi. So at that 
lower level, because I think that the wake word detection part is almost the easy part, really. Yeah. As long as you support the wake word for whatever assistant and you have a, a way of people with new assistants to register their wake word, that's kind of the easy bit. I don't think that's the challenge. There's a challenge, a political challenge, definitely, but a technical challenge doesn't seem to be huge. The, there is a technical challenge, though. If I just say, book me a taxi or book me a C- an Italian restaurant or what's the weather, without the explicit invocation of the provider I'm searching for, Sonos, as a provider of that kind of front door, if you like, needs to then determine, well, how do I rank and select and prioritize these providers? Because there might be 25 different weather providers and 6,000 different Italian restaurants. And so, you know, Amazon, again, to use the Amazon example, they'll use things like ratings and skill activity and uptime and all that kind of stuff, engagement within the skill as a as a way of trying to uh, anticipate or, or judge whether something's good or not. But are we, when we talk about interoperability, are you also talking about all the stuff that needs to be done to figure out from Sonos's perspective, how do I rank, sort and prioritize these different capabilities that are in this register? Yeah, I mean, uh, that is indeed uh, the interesting question, how these voice uh, registry services will be built, because I believe it will be ultimately handled on that level. Um, I don't expect Zonos to be able to um, to um, actually do the ranking and do the selection process. I think, I think that will be done by somebody else. Um, but going back to the question, if, if such kind of um, approach by Sonos might be useful, um, I believe that um, that by focusing only on on playing music, uh, Zonos would do very well. Or it could it ha- it has its charm. Uh, why is that? Because uh, playing music is by far the most easiest thing to do on a smart speaker. Whereas providing like um, accurate health information or travel booking or financial service is like in terms of user experience a much bigger challenge. So um, strategically, um, I think it has a lot of appeal. And the first thing I was thinking is what would uh, Spotify do? And I mean, uh, what we've seen during the past year, I mean, on one side uh, with Clubhouse, I I love Clubhouse, it's an amazing product. And that's not even about uh, AIs talking uh, to humans, it's only about humans talking to each other. Um, And and how far Clubhouse clones are now being expected as well by Amazon Alexa and by Spotify and so on. So... Um, I think that the variety of products uh, of voice AI use cases will increase over time. And um, I wonder um, uh, in how far such kind of different approaches to that are actually compatible to such kind of strategies that you're outlining. Um, But uh, coming back to my other argument, um, I believe that indeed indeed the gatekeeper, the touch point, will, will be the one that needs to acquire the trust of users and if Sonos decides that it can um, attract the trust by users in the best way by controlling the catalog and uh, providing uh, music streaming themselves, uh, then that could have a lot of potential. But even then, then we see Spotify, and then the question is how many of the Sonos customers want to, uh, want to, um, want to miss out on Spotify because I'm not sure that Spotify would be so convinced by the Sonos approach and to still provide their APIs on their um, hardware devices. So um, I think uh, there are certainly many ways forward possible. Um, however, those ways that I have an inher- inherent um, protection mechanism for the for the device provider will be always challenged by external by the external uh, market uh, circumstances. I believe. Mm. Interesting. So the the the. You mentioned that the kind of sorting and filing of those capabilities wouldn't be done by the assistant itself, like Sonos. Is that in part what you're also investigating at Who Else AI? Is not just providing the list, the the, the list of registry, uh, the registry list for voice AI applications, but also working on how that priority and recommendation engine works. Is that also part of the scope or not? Uh, certainly, uh, certainly. Um... Uh, or let me answer. Let me try to answer your question differently. Let me start. Uh, let me tell you where we started off with the idea originally. The yeah, original yeah, yeah. idea for who else was to create one brand that's capable of basically explaining any kind of internet service in a very simple language to users of all ages. And I mentioned it earlier already with my my small nephew and my grandmother, um, and that people have limited mental capacity in order to uh, recall brand names or app names. 
And um, what I basically observed and how far it gets easier to explain to people uh, internet service by this metaphor of who else. And dear grandmother, you're looking for somebody that is taking care, takes your dog for a walk. Um, you might ask in the neighbor or neighborhood, who else can help me with that? Um, and this way, in this way, we explain basically, I'm not sure how this dog walking service, internet service are called, but we explain basically how an internet service functions by using a language that's, uh, that's very easy to understand for my grandmother. And that's how, that's how I came up with the name originally a couple of years ago. And then over time, we're getting into this voice AI domain and uh, joining interoperability initiatives. And basically, we touched on, on different aspects. I mean, one aspect was this uh, protocol for how to store voice commands in a standardized format. And then we have this aspect of, um, of wake words and the question whether who else might be a good wake word. And then we touched as well on the question whether a voice registry service uh, how that could be built and what kind of protocols might be needed for that. So that's definitely uh, in our scope uh, from, uh, from a research perspective. At the moment, uh, we're looking at different options for going forward um, to turn these ideas into, into a product, product. And we had a learning curve on that. And, and uh, what uh, we decided basically for ourselves is uh, that we will um, focus on one aspect in this voice AI domain, and I believe that should be the protocol, uh, and uh, we'll tackle that. Um, I believe the sort and ranking algorithms and, and uh, systems and everything that's necessary um, uh, to do it uh, reliable for, for, for all languages in the world, that's the Google scale challenge. And on that end, uh, we want to choose our battles wisely, um, so let's not try to compete with Google. Let's try to do something that's very unique and provides the value added for the for the larger ecosystem. Mm, yeah, it's definitely a Google scale challenge. And once you get into the long tail, that's why, you know, Amazon for so long, same with Google Assistant, I suppose, when you ask it a certain question or ask it for a certain function, it responds with, I can't do that yet. It's not that it doesn't have a skill for it. It's just that it, it, it hasn't figured out how to best index everything, you know, understand where to send everything, prioritize everything. It's a huge, huge, huge challenge. But, but uh, if, I may, if, if I may ask, how many voice services do you use on a daily basis? I mean, I'm, I'm really a voice geek, and I have to admit, I, I set my alarm timer by that. And sometimes, like a connection information, but I, I have the impression that people are not yet really using voice services. I mean, despite the fact that they're embedded in so many systems, my TV, my car, and so on, do, do people actually use it? And do people actually like talking to AIs? Uh, what is your stake? I think that it's that there's like a chicken and egg thing going on. And I've said for years that, you know, what I would love is to be able to use Evernote the best use for Alexa for me would be integration with Evernote. Hey, Alexa, create an Evernote. What do you want to call it? Call it idea for a blog post on speech recognition. Okay, what do you want it to say? And then just let me just dictate for 10 minutes. And when I get home or when I fire up Evernote, it's already in Evernote. It's already a note. That's, it. That's a really simple use case. And I would, if, I, if I had that, I would use that all the time. Another one I always mention is Pocket. So I've got the pocket yeah. app and whenever I go into my emails, you know, I'll, I'll find, you know, whatever newsletters I get sent and stuff like that and everything I just add into pocket, add it all into pocket. And then when it comes to actually doing the newsletter and stuff or having half an hour for, um, you know, reading or whatever, I'll go into pocket and I'll, when I go for a walk with the dog, I will listen to them because you can listen to the, the articles is a text-to-speech within Pocket, and it reads you the articles. It's really simple. I would absolutely love to just say to Alexa, hey, Alexa, read Pocket, and just have it go through the articles I've saved and read them out to me. This is all really basic stuff, and it's but it's stuff that I would really find value in. To your point, yeah, I, probably, I actually don't use a great deal of services on Alexa. Most of my actual activity on both platforms is, is testing, and actually over the last kind of three months, I've been doing less work on assistance and more work with call centers and, and stuff like that. So um, I, I also just use the basic stuff. But the reason why I think it's a chicken and egg thing is because you need capabilities there that people use in order for them to use it. 
You know, it's like I'll yeah. play music on it. Yes, I'll ask questions to it. Yes, I'll set times on it. Yes, because that's all that's available. I can't check my bank balance. I can't transfer money from one pot to another because Monzo doesn't have a skill. I can't create Evernote and I can't use Pocket and I can't, you know, check my LinkedIn messages and all all the stuff that I would do. I can't do because it's not available. And so it's a chicken and egg kind of thing at the minute. I think. Yeah, I mean, um, I agree. I agree in that regard. Um, I think uh, what's important uh, to consider is to distinguish between different use cases. Uh, what kind of value added is there? Um, and I mean, I was thinking about your example with the pocket, and I'm a heavy pocket user myself. Uh, when it comes to to research, I, I have to say I'm much faster with my eyes than with my voice or to listening to anything. Um, I think use cases, there will be some use cases that always are, will be done faster by a visual interface, but nevertheless, your use case with going for a walk with a dog and, and getting your pocket articles read out uh, is very nice. Um, um, then on the other end of the spectrum, I believe, uh, and you mentioned contact centers, I mean, totally, in hotlines, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's to a certain extent ridiculous um, how bad our phone hotlines still are considering what are the capabilities of voice assistants. And if you're, even if you're calling the um, Apple hotline, I had a repair case a couple of weeks ago. I mean, it's not Siri talking to you. It's some kind of other contact center solution. And that is not very convincing. And um, on that end, what B2B business cases or use cases um, um, uh, will become much more prominent, I believe. And there will be see many improvements. On the B2C side, I'm uh, still a little bit skeptical, I believe, until voice assistants are really nice, as nicely to talk with as a toy. I mean, as simple as a toy, uh, meaning uh, that, they have, that they're tolerant towards uh, unclear language, that they're tolerant uh, towards the commands you're giving, that they're child safe or child proof, and I just read it, read it in, the, in the comment section. I mean, until then, I believe we don't see um, the huge B2C pickup of voice assistants Uh, but voice business cases or voice use cases will become more prominent. Um, as mentioned already, Clubhouse is a perfect example. Uh, and I mean, this discussion going on, will Clubhouse stay and the, the quality of the platform and so on. But I believe uh, these kind of use cases are here to stay and it will be a little bit as uh, a matter of discoverability and how they, how they work with each other, right? Mm, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Miguel has commented, I manage a Facebook Alexa group and every single day we have new users that are using it. So yes, people are using digital assistants. I think Miguel, I don't think we're disputing that people do or don't. I think everybody, I think we'll probably agree that, that everyone does. And there's been lots of reports this year, actually, that have shown that people are using it for more and more stuff. I think there's definitely been a confidence increase. You know, a lot of people are asking a lot more questions of it. It's still the routine things like playing music, setting timers, you know, getting news, that kind of stuff, getting the weather is still uh still a valid use case <clears throat> i think that what we were driving at is how much additional like what's the width of capabilities that we access regularly and it's not that broad it's basically confined to a few use cases which everybody uses and so the availability of more things would for me at least encourage me to use it a little bit more it's almost like um you know in order for someone to uh in order in order for you to open a restaurant you need to have everything that you have on your menu available uh right. you don't want people to go into the restaurant and half of the stuff not be available you, so i think that we're kind of in that sort of place where amazon launched and to be totally honest and to be fair amazon from a smart speaker's perspective in retrospect absolutely nailed it Home automation, playing music, general yeah. Q&A, and then de general kind of tasks like setting timers and adding shopping lists. They, they actually nailed it as far as what the common use cases were going to be. It's just the long tail stuff that's not there. Um, but it's interesting your kind of observations around kind of like B2B use cases and other areas where voice AI is is either not quite prominent yet but will become prominent. I think you've got the call center is one area. You've definitely got app Uh, voice assistance or voice control within apps is another even at an operating system level you know there was announcement this week that windows 11 has now got a voice control feature siri uh, apple ios rather has got a voice control feature so voice ai is definitely creeping into all kinds of different surfaces both software and hardware do you think that the kind of like interoperability initiative and the kind of stuff that you're trying to work on at who else ai is confined to specifically voice assistants or do you see a role for this kind of stuff and standards and stuff like that around the broader usage of voice AI across all these other emerging kind of channels? 
Uh, no, definitely it will have a, a larger role and uh, not in particular regards voice, but in regards everything uh, containing NLP technologies. And um, it's actually, um, I believe, interesting uh, what kind of other use cases can be derived from advancement in the voice AI domain. And we see it in particular in regards to um, the research and standardization of data sets um, uh, that are mainly, um, or in many cases, when I'm thinking about medical use cases, where it's about basically standardization of the information contained in, in medical reports and so on and so forth. And um, many of these advancements are made in order to um, get better voice AI use cases. But I believe uh, that the that's tripling down effect is actually that we see um, um, advancement on the other, in other fields of the, of the AI field. Uh, so I think definitely that voice AI is inspiring many other business cases and use cases. Um, and um, as well in terms of what kind of products we will see, um, I believe that um, that and it started years ago with with uh, solutions or like products like Headspace as uh, this meditation app. Uh, they basically started pioneering like the intersection of having having sensors on your smartphone and then optimizing your meditation program. Uh, we've seen it now with Clubhouse. Um, that has uh, very little AI co co speaking with you, but there's a lot of AI going back, uh, going on in the background. And I think that uh, we will learn a lot from voice AI for um, many business cases beyond or use cases beyond. Um, and uh, on that, and I mentioned it beforehand, uh, it's probably a question for everybody in this field to choose the battles wisely. Uh, do you want to build the ultimate assistance or do you find um, a good idea for a voice product uh, that is actually much more useful and much more realistic to build by the technologies that are available today uh, for um, for smaller companies. Hmm. Yeah. Do you think that when you look at things like Clubhouse, I don't exactly know what they're using behind the scenes, but I can imagine they use things like sentiment analysis to determine whether a room is getting particularly rowdy or confrontational, or they might use uh, you know some kind of NLP technology or NLU to try and classify topics of conversation to determine which types of rooms have popular topics that they can then prioritize in people's feeds and a whole bunch of use cases I can imagine being used um, within there. But then when you're doing that, you're then straying into, um, you're, you're almost straying into privacy realms, aren't you? So, you know, I imagine when you sign up to Clubhouse, you're probably ticking a box that says we'll store your audio recordings and transcribe them all and process it and do all this kind of stuff with it. Um, but you might not be aware of that when you do sign up. And so how much of what you're kind of working on and what you're thinking about is also related to standards around either how companies communicate privacy and security kind of uh, initiatives or how companies actually use data, where it's stored, what it's used for, that kind of stuff. Is this also some stuff that you're looking at? Yeah, absolutely. So thanks, so much, thanks so much for this question. Um, I mean, the, the core idea of who else AI as a protocol, as we, as we presented nowadays, is that instead of storing the full text information of a voice command, um, as I would give it to, to, to a smart speaker, for instance, that only a simplified version of this voice command should be stored um, by providing a standardized grammar uh, in order to encode the information. And that is basically the HTML idea that on base of a standardized grammar, information could be forwarded to other voice assistants without the need to hand over the original sound file or not even the full text. And I mean that is uh, that is their 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 privacy starts, but I think it actually in terms of voice AI it goes much beyond, because uh, the information, what kind of wordings you're using or what kind of semantics you're using, uh, certainly um, uh, gives a lot of information about your demographic background, about your 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 your, your intellectual capacities, uh, your your sense of humor or what have you not. But I believe that the level below the voice biometrics is actually the field. Uh, where the much bigger risk for privacy is because if voice assistants are being com uh, becoming able to detect, okay, this person is, um, and, and the, 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 we have this typical use case, is depressive, is having a cold, is, having, uh, is nervous, is having a higher um, um, heart rate, blood rate, and so on and so forth. There's so much information encoded in your voice, and I believe that is actually the, um, the bigger risk in terms of privacy than only encoding your information in a privacy by design format. But even this encoding of, of, of text into a standardized format is very useful because 
in order to fulfill a request, I mean, coming back to this vision of a voice registry service, handing over voice commands, I mean, the second voice AI only needs a subset of information, and the question should be how much of this information should be forwarded. And uh, what we see ongoing in this, in this domain as well are uh, different approaches in terms of who else should be able to, and not who else is, is us, but who else should be listened to the conversation that's going on. And um, I know, for instance, that Amazon is uh, imposing relative, relative um, how to formulate it in a, in a legally uh, complicit way, is, is having relatively strict requirements if you're integrating Alexa into your device and you potentially can integrate as well other voice assistants, then Amazon is requiring you by the, by the terms and conditions still to let Alexa to listen in into any kind of other conversations that are going on on the platform. Mm. And such kind of, I mean, that such kind of move is only possible because Alexa is having so much power, but such kind of discussions will continue um, because the question, and we have around the world like different notions for, for privacy and how sensitive we are about that. For me personally, I have to say, it's it's a totally it's totally a horror to imagine having devices around you that can listen to you all day long. And I know that's a very simplified version of describing the issues at stake. Um, but um, it's it's definitely a top question. Is already uh, at the moment in how far and how powerful do the service providers get, and how how much should they know about you? And uh, it won't get less in a world where we have more voice assistants, I believe. Mm, yeah, that's an interesting thing because you've got like Amazon that have the end point and therefore inevitably pick up the speech and the audio. They then use their technology to then transcribe that into text. Yeah, then they feed even, that. I, I'm sorry, I was even referring to third party voice AI integrations where Alexa is only integrated into another hardware product, ah, such right. as my fridge. And, um, right. if, and if you integrate like two or more assistants, then Amazon is still requiring you by the TNC to let allow to listen in on the other voice stream, even I'm though they are not the one that's being addressed actually by the user. I'm with you. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking about the other way, which is that any request coming through the Amazon platform, let's say if it goes to a bank for argument's sake, then and it's my bank then Amazon is still understanding everything that I'm accessing through my bank. And then whatever right. is being sent from my bank back to me is passing through Amazon. And so in some way, at some level, Amazon has visibility over all of my banking activity. Uh, it, you know, do you know what I'm saying? So it's like that can be used as they use it for when it comes to shopping, you know, they monitor what's being uh, probably less so now because actually I think they've mobilized a lot of third party sellers, which means that, they're actually making a good bit of money from that anyway. But what it's traditionally they did is they were looking at things that sell well and monitoring that and then creating their own branded products for that specific product set and then boosting their prominence in search results. And all of a sudden, Amazon Basics is you know a profitable kind of uh, stream of product lines. And so the same kind of thing, activity-wise and monitoring-wise, can be happening in skills without people necessarily realizing it. And so how do you kind of approach... Um, how do you approach privacy and security when you've got that gatekeeper that almost in part needs to do some of the things that it does in terms of the transcription, the NLU classification and stuff like that, but does it also need to understand what's coming back the other way? I don't know. There's, there's, it's a bit of a gray area, isn't it, in terms of how much it can access and, and where the line is? Um, I mean, it comes back to that point that um, I believe that you need to to be able to trust the uh, um, gateway provider. Mm. And uh, if uh, you don't entirely trust the gateway provider um, for probably the wrong gateway provider, uh, will never uh, disappear. Uh, however, certainly, um, if, the, if we manage to create protocols such as well um, that um, are basically protecting and um, and um, uh, that's, I believe, the way forward. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Well, 
appreciate you joining us and apologies we've overrun 10 minutes i know we didn't start till a little bit later so thank you for sticking around and thank you everyone for joining us and for your comments uh tobias where can people learn more about who else ai and find out a little bit more about what you do and get involved in in that cause yeah very uh, happy uh, to share visit us at who else ai um, currently working our roadmap for the next year we have a couple of initiatives coming up um, especially in the open source field. And uh, Kane, so much for being, thanks so much for this invitation. It was a pleasure talking to you. And uh, let's uh, work together at making AIs talk to each other. Definitely, definitely. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much, Tobias. It's an absolute pleasure. Uh, thank you again for tuning in. Tomorrow we will be chatting to Moxie about conversation design for robots, multimodal conversation design for robots, which is going to be uh, exciting. How do you design conversations that are not just dialogue-based, but also use eye and hands and all kinds of other uh, modalities? So do join us for that. Same bat time, same bat channel. That's tomorrow at 6 p.m. Uh, if you're not already subscribed to VUX World, I would strongly encourage you to do so vux.world forward slash subscribe you will get all of the events and all of the broadcasts that we do and all the conversations that we have with people like Tobias every single week in your inbox as well as notifications when the podcasts are live on your chosen podcast player so that you can listen to it in an audible format if you didn't manage to join us for the actual broadcast uh, and if you haven't yet subscribed to my LinkedIn newsletter please do so. It's going pretty well. It's been going for about four weeks now. There's five uh, editions of it. And every single week, I break down all of the activity that's been going on in the voice AI sector and in the conversational AI sector and NLP sector broadly. Uh, all the interesting things that have been happening, all of the stories, a little bit of analysis in there as well. And so please do subscribe to that. If you're not already, join me on LinkedIn. Just search my name, K-A-N-E-S-I-M-M-S. -M -M it's been an absolute pleasure. Tobias, thank you again. And we'll see you again very soon. Thank you.